Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna, and I've never not seen anyone because they're wearing camouflage. And you're listening to Talk Psych Psych to Me. Me, A show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. Was that a dig because I'm wearing camouflage? (laughs) (laughs) I know, I was just thinking like the other day I went to the store and for some reason now, I I don't know if it's deer hunting season or people just don't want to be seen, but like they're wearing all their foliage out. But like in the supermarket. But like in the supermarket. Are they standing in the foliage aisle? No, I I was like, dude, you're standing in front of the meat aisle. I can totally see you. (laughs) I don't know if you're trying to hide from me or because I'm talking, they have the masks that are camouflaged and everything too wow and i'm like this is come on man like i can see you wherever you go i've never seen a bush wearing a beard you know what i mean so like if you're gonna camouflage go all the way hoss anyway all right so today is the second part of a seven part podcast two two mini series i would even say yep within talk psych to me obviously Uh talking about the psychology of the seven deadly sins sin sin sins last week we talked about the psychology of sloth Mm -hmm. you're not gonna do the reverb Sloth, sloth, sloth. <laughs> this is going to be a really long episode. Long, long, long. <laughs> this week we're going to tackle greed. Don't tell me. Can I guess? Greed. Greed. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Speaking of greed, we're feeling greedy for new podcast listeners. So if you haven't already, Ooh. please leave us a review. Tell at least one person or tell the whole internet, should that be easier for you, about Talk Psych to Me. And thank you to every single one of you who's already helped us get the word out about Talk Psych to Me. And big ups to all the listeners who have already dedicated their ears every week. So I want to give a shout out to Hector, Royi, and Richella. Yes. And maybe this is something that we'll do from now on. It's just like a, a weekly Randomly shouting out all of our listeners. I love it. I like when you randomly shout. Here's another one. Robert. I don't think that's one I don't know. Listening. I don't know. But there's but probably Robert, a Robert. If you're listening, there's probably a Robert out there listening. It. What up, big Rob? Okay. So let's get back to greed psychology. Greed. First, I'd love to agree on a definition. I'd like to agree. Greed. On a definition. What is greed, according to Brian Luna? Greed is the desire without limitations. Hmm. Greed is like a bottomless pit. That's exactly what psychologists would say. So greed is typically described as wanting more than you need, Mm -hmm. never being satisfied, hence bottomless pit, and serving your own interests. So it's usually seen as something selfish. So it's not like I'm like a bottomless pit of generosity. Sure. It's also known as avarice and covetousness, which I wish I had a good reason to say more. Covetousness is a good one. Right? Yeah. So would you say that you are covetous? No. No. Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm not you're covetous. sitting across from me. It's, a, it's, not, a, no, it's not yeah, a strange but it, question no, when we're talking yes, about greed. But you asked me, and instead of looking at me like, okay, you paused and gave me that little Luna smile that I know that I've come to love. Do you love. think I'm greedy? Yeah, okay. chocolate. <laughs> when it comes to your chocolate. I feel like that's more gluttony, no? Eh, yeah, but you want all the, like when you're in, you are in the chocolate. <laughs> I'm a bottomless You pit. are in the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> I have eaten a lot of chocolate. And, and there's been sitting. times, and I'm not going to name names, neighbors and family, that I've been like, hey, you want to uh, wait till so-and-so comes over for that? And you're, and you're like, I'm going to call you out on this. And you're like, no, F that. You know, like, I'm here now. You know, like, I want this now. We'll get some later. All right. Okay. All right. So let's see. So as there are many things in psychology, there's a pretty well-established measure of greed called the dispositional greed scale. May I administer this test on you to see Uh-oh. more empirically how greedy you and are? And I promise 100% I will answer honestly. So we'll go from strongly disagree... Disagree, neutral, agree, or strongly agree. Those are your options. Okay. Or just give me agree, disagree. How about that? Yeah, that yeah. I was right. about to say, because okay. I, I don't do degrees. All right. I'm Sloth. all in or all out. All right. Number one, agree or disagree. I always want more. 
Agree. <laughs> I think you could stop right there. I mean, I think if, if, if people are measuring greed and the first one is, I think I want more, they're like, yes. Well, I mean, come on. All right. Okay. That's a dumb, that's a dumb one. All right. Keep going. You're giving me that look like. Uh, Number two. All right, this one is really mysterious. Actually, I'm kind of greedy. Disagree. Okay. Three. One can never have too much money. Agree. Agree. Okay. Uh, number four. As soon as I have acquired something, I start to think about the next thing I want. Agree. <laughs> oh, no. Five. It doesn't much matter how much I have. I'm never completely satisfied. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, agree. Okay. God Six. Dang it. My life motto is more. <laughs> My life motto is more is better. Oh, man. I might as well just answer this like, Ooh, that means it's so low. What is Might as well that? answer it like Jabba the Hutt. Agree. Oh, oh, because Jabba the Hutt is great. Okay. And then the last one, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, I can't imagine having too many things. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Holy crap. Okay. <sighs> so what is your conclusion? Well, let's from? tally the score. Oh, come <laughs> on, man. These are like, okay, but... Look, when you come, you come up the way we did. So we'll talk about that. All we'll right. talk about that. You'll you get to play your little violin. Oh, here we go. Tell See? your little homeless story. <laughs> 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 All right. So here's my problem with this scale, though. All right. Because. Well, other than the fact that it's completely misleading. Other than the fact that, like. I think it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yes, it's straightforward. But it's asking you things like, of course. Well, you realize that if I answered this, I'd be like, oh, we have too much stuff or we have sufficient amount of money. Yeah, only for show. Oh, I think, so you think deep down. Yeah, I think deep down inside you want that <laughs> stuff. My concern with this scale, basically you scored like Bernie Madoff. <laughs> However. But, but I'm very generous. That's what I was going to say. You are one of the most generous people I know. You're one of the most generous people I know. You're one of the most generous people I know. You don't have to do a fake rewind. It's a real recording. (laughs) Oh, right. You could always just rewind it. You can always just rewind. (laughs) Because what I know about you is that someone will be talking to you and you'll find out something they care about or that they like. And even if it's your prized possession, you will give it to them. Yes. So can someone be greedy and generous at the same time? Yes. Which brings me to another question. Is greed even a bad thing? I think greed is only, just like any of these sins, I think it's only bad if it's detrimental to other people, right? So like if it's harming others, then yes. If I'm greedy and I'm putting my foot on the necks of workers. How did this just turn to like well, communism? No, 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 I'm not, it's not communism. What I'm saying is if I'm greedy at the expense of others, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Then, then yeah, it's so bad. So you're saying like selfish greed is the problem. Exactly. But like for me, okay, I'm, I'm an avid comic book collector. I invest in comics. And, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. By invest, you mean... I buy them. Acquire. Yes. <laughs> you never actually... I never turn no it around. I never, I never turn them over. <laughs> so I collect comic books. I collect, I collect rare comics and more comics. What? And? Video games? And? Um, good toys? And? Shoes? Uh, well, I don't collect shoes. How many shoes do you have? I go through them quite a bit. <laughs> and every once in a while, yes, okay. If you're asking about the new aliens shoes I bought for my birthday, yes, that's a special thing. <laughs> but like I what you're talking about like I'm an avid collector, so once I collect say the Captain America omnibus, I'm off to the next collection. I'm off to the next group of stories that I want to collect. Like a bottomless pit. <laughs> it's not a bottomless pit. It has a bottom, I'm sure. I just haven't found it. <laughs> Good news is that Adam Smith, who's often referred to as the father the master. <laughs> or the father of economics, oh. which I think is pretty cool, like yeah. just being the father of something. Well, the father, if you're going to be the father of something. If you were the father of something, what do you think you would be the father of? 
Um, Aside from Huckleberry, I'd be the father of cuteness. No, I'd be the father. <laughs> I'd be the father. The father of generosity. Ooh, that's uh, good. Okay, yeah. So anyway, Adam Smith wrote, and I quote: "It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard for their own interest." Similarly, the fictional character Gordon Gecko from uh, Wall Street. Yes, often quoted by real people for this quote: "Greed is right." Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Do you agree? Is it part of human nature? Yes. Yes. So there's actually an interesting study that looked at generosity versus greed in a series of games where you can either be selfish or cooperative. So with these researchers, it was David Rand, Joshua Green, and Martin Nowak, they found actually something really surprising. If they were forced to make a really fast decision, their initial reaction was generous. If they were asked to pause and reflect, (laughs) that's when they were more likely to act selfishly. So the good news, it seems that we're actually wired for generosity as our first impulse. Although, to your point, likely we've evolved with some degree of greed. Otherwise, we might not have survived. If you only take what's given to you or only take what's available and don't desire more, then how are you ever going to really better yourself? Where people get tripped up is that once they have enough, then they start taking from others. But again, that's the question of like, do you really have societal progress when people go, no, I'm good. Like, if everyone's a monk, what does society look like? And I guess the monks would be like, that's fine. It's very quiet. It's very quiet. So maybe like you, to some extent, we're all greedy and generous, Mm -hmm. and that creates a sort of checks and balances. If we have not enough greed, maybe there isn't enough progress. I just think in the age of the whole Wall Street protests and everything like that, that people have kind of like made these blanket statements about a lot of things, including greed. Right. But I don't think it's detrimental. I, 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 I guess it can be, but to just say that all millionaires are greedy or right. all billionaires are greedy, I do think that there is some something that's lost there. The author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he was quoted in saying something along the lines of, calling rich people greedy is poor people's excuse. So Eesh. he'll say... <laughs> Things like that probably prompt that inside rage. Visceral. Yeah, that visceral, yeah. like, tear them all down then. Tear them all down. And, On and, both and, sides, and then, right? Yeah, and from the bones we'll feast. Damn, rise up dark. together. Yeah, no, no, no. But I'm just thinking, like, any great revolution has started because of that visceral, like, tear it all down. People who are up there are greedy or powerful or powerful. But if you look at our society, it seems like even if we tore it down, and this has happened over and over and over, society's mm-hmm. been torn down and built back up, Greed always seems to be a factor in who be- we are Because as I, I think you hit it on the head is that it's just, it's in our nature. Yeah. And, and so one way to reconcile the good and the bad of greed is to recognize that greed doesn't necessarily have to be bad mm-hmm. unless to your point, it leads people to destructive behaviors like cheating and lying and manipulation. Like if I'm greedy and I never donate money, fine, that's not horrible. Mm-hmm. What would be really bad is if I'm so greedy that I take money from someone. Right, like you your take- comic book greed stimulates the economy sure also leads to some deficits in our personal economy as in the luna economy but you're not thinking long term <laughs> what these comics are going to do for us down the road <laughs> you're not thinking about but, but really, I also like, like when, it, when it comes to like my greed with comics i always pay what the actual value is in other words i never try to like talk someone down in like take from them so i do a lot of my 
collecting from eBay. In other words, I, I, I go and hunt and I You love hunt, it. you don't gather? I don't gather. <laughs> I go out there in the digital world and snipe with bids. <laughs> I never make offers. And I know I could probably save a couple bucks here or there, but like, I think that's a little bit Yeah, like that's less, your generosity Yeah, too. I mean, that's, that's just like... So you're demonstrating an example of what it could be like to accept your own greed without harming someone else. Yes. That said, even if no one gets hurt, greed does tend to hurt the greedy. In a study of over 6,000 participants, Swenchens and team, developers of the greed scale, by the way, found that people with higher greed scores were less satisfied with their lives, which reminds me of the Buddhist belief that desire is the root of all suffering. Hmm. Do you think that you would be happier if you wanted less stuff? Yes. Oh, yes, interesting. Because, okay. because it becomes um, obsessive. It's never ending. Yeah. Bottomless pit. There's never a sense of fulfillment. Yeah. There's never a sense of There's like, always a wanting, yes. right? Like ultimately the word want means to lack. Like when you say you will want for nothing, mm-hmm. it implies I never say that. lack. <laughs> I, don't I've ever, I don't think I've ever said that. But I understand what you're saying. <laughs> but you're really, just being hypothetical. That, that's, yes, when one says. <laughs> the point is the other side of the coin of wanting is lacking. Hmm. Aside from the emotional impact of greed, psychologist Adam Grant wanted to find out the impact of greedy versus generous behaviors in the workplace and among students. So he studied what he has called givers, takers, and matchers. Okay. Who would you guess would be the most successful at work and in academic environments? The people who give more than they take, the people who take more than they give, or people who will kind of balance it out? Well, I'm going to say because of our topic, the takers. Are the most successful? Yeah. Aside from our topic, what do you think? Takers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there's a little bit of a swerve here. Uh Uh-oh. What he found is that givers were the least successful and the most successful. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Takers. (laughs) Takers. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Two can play that rewind game. So you can give so much that you totally neglect yourself or you just become exhausted. So this is what Adam Grant calls generosity burnout. Mm -hmm. Or... You can give as your default, but set boundaries. And it was these people who default were givers, but set boundaries. They, again and again and again, in a wide range of industries and academically, yeah, were most successful. He, here's what you did. You just said givers, takers. I mean, you didn't say there were any kind of stipulations. You didn't say that there were any I kind of I just said like, who was the most and least successful. Like, so do you want to win this argument or do you want to learn? Let's, let's learn. <laughs> Why do you learn. think the takers or the greedy <laughs> people weren't as successful? I would imagine because maybe they tripped themselves up. Maybe they got in their own way. Maybe they acquired too much and then didn't know what to do with it. Or oh, didn't like they know. had so many comics that they like ran out of comic book room. Either ran in a, made a, or ran out of comic book room or double bought, you know, because they didn't know what they had or they didn't have the inventory. And you Okay, know, they, you're going really specific with that metaphor. Well, you brought up comics. <laughs> I'm going with what I know, baby. So what Grant found is that we seem to have this ingrained aversion to people who don't treat us fairly and actually have the urge to punish them. Like, for example, talk about how much they suck behind their back or just avoid them. So these takers ultimately were not successful because people didn't want to work with them or because they had bad reputations. They were alienated. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't just that they had too many comics. No one wanted to sell them comics. Wow. So this tendency seems to exist among other cooperative species. And I usually don't like to talk about animal research, but this one 
seems to be not behind their back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't we don't talk behind their back. But this one seems like all the animals were treated ethically and actually maybe even had a good time through it. This was a study on dogs, so I want you to picture Huckleberry and Ripley. Uh, already in. <laughs> you, don't so, have to, you don't have to prompt that. So a dog researcher who studies dog cognition, Alexandra Horowitz, she found that older dogs preferred trainers who doled out treats fairly even over trainers who gave more treats but did it unfairly. So if they had a choice of which trainer to work with, they picked the fair trainers. Meaning like to a group of dogs? Yeah, or... a group of dogs. So, so they would do a trick and yeah. they would get a treat. And then the dog next to them would get two treats for the same trick. And they'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> puppies didn't care. But older dogs, they seem... puppies, as much as I love them, are as dumb as a bag of rocks. <laughs> I love them. But isn't that interesting? Yeah. That cooperative species, and you see this across other species, have this fairness monitoring. And when we think that someone is being unfair or essentially greedy, we don't trust them or we distance ourselves from them or we might even retaliate. And I would 100% agree because dogs as pack animals have to learn to kind of like level out resources. To share, So if they're out in the wild, not that our dogs could ever live out in the wild, but but when you're out in the wild, I'd imagine that if one overeats... It harms the survival of the pack. Of the pack. Right. I'm laughing right now a little bit because I'm I'm remembering the, one of the first times that we gave our dogs greenies and Huckleberry, who's the smaller dog, ate her greenie. And then she took Ripley's greenie and Ripley just sat there in bed crying. Crying. And we were like, what, why, why is she crying? They've gotten much better. Oh my God. They, they don't they don't eat each other's They've stuff anymore. To be fair. It's funny because Huckleberry, as the older dog, won't let Ripley... All right, here we go. How great is Huckleberry? No, 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 no. Huckleberry, as the older dog, won't let Ripley go hungry. She would finish her food and just sit there like so sad. And Huckleberry would eat just as much as she needed, and then the rest would go to Ripley. Very interesting. And she would wait there. She knew that Ripley was younger and growing. My perception of it was that Huckleberry is a picky princess (laughs) and was like, oh, dog food tonight, father? (laughs) Again. (laughs) Is it not being hand-fed to me today? But anyway, yeah, so, so this does seem ingrained in a lot of species, including us. So let's get back to greed and its origin story. Mm -hmm. What do you think causes greed, aside from the fact that we're all programmed through evolution to be greedy to some extent? What makes some people greedier than others? For me, I found that when I was in the midst of really buying, like really kicking up my my purchasing, I was looking for fulfillment in my life in terms Mm. of like my career wasn't going great. I was doing other things, but like that's when I found that my my desire for collecting. So it was like a quick reward when you felt that something was lacking. Exactly. It it went beyond nostalgia and it was more about like something to to fulfill myself. Well, kind of like the the bottomless pit thing that you brought up. If something is missing, Mm -hmm. then you potentially want to fill that. Right. And the easiest thing to do instead of like going out there and trying or going out there and failing or doing is something materialistic. Okay. So you're thinking that greed is almost like a coping mechanism or a way to cover up some of that feeling of loss. It can be. This is a a long held view in psychology. So actually last year, researchers Louis Sun and Sidipov studied 3,200 teenagers to compare what's called the luxury versus the scarcity hypothesis. So they wanted to know if being poor or rich as a kid led to greater later life greed. Okay. What do you think? You were just telling me. Well, at I the mean, start. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was, I was feel like, I, I was feel like That's you, why you have to buy things. <laughs> 
It's a form of therapy. Yes. Well, it also explains that growing up, when you don't have a lot of money and you get your first check, what do you do? Spend it. You spend it up. Okay. So So here's what they found. Okay. It turns out being wealthy as a kid was a better predictor of greed, so the luxury hypothesis. But here's a twist. Only in the case of being a single child. People that exhibited the most greed were the ones that grew up in a state of luxury and didn't have any siblings. Interesting. I guess because that you never want that influx of stuff to stop, right? Yeah, so I you guess become, you're, you're conditioned. Yeah, for it. conditioned. That's the word. Oh, I'm that's interesting. For. Yeah. And if you're an only kid, then you are the recipient of all of that. All of it. Just remember, we were talking about the pack and having to divvy out resources and make sure everything's. You don't have that. At oh, all. so you never learn. You never learn because you're never going to have to make things even with your parents and you because your parents are always going to give you more. They're always going to give you what you need. I mean, there's a counter hypothesis to this, which is maybe being a single kid growing up wealthy, you're lonelier. Maybe you get less attention and maybe instead of affection and play and a sense of community, what you get instead is stuff. I mean, you're assuming that these people are lonely because they're not I'm available. I'm just saying it's, it's a potential counter hypothesis. Oh, we see, don't I know see. what their lives yeah. are like. Oftentimes, yeah, I mean, I guess it, families, it, it, you exactly. actually get very little attention from your primary caretakers. Or you're doted on. Yeah. Here's another fun study. This one is from the field of forensic psychology, mm-hmm. which I think you like. Can you do this as Hannibal Lecter? No. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a study done by Joanne Munoz. It was completed actually just this year. And Munoz studied white-collar criminals who committed acts of fraud, even though they were really high net worth already. And what she found was that these criminals, the thing that they had in common or the things that they had in common was a need for recognition, fear of failure, being poor as a kid. So this is in contrast to the Louis and team finding, which we can talk about in a moment. Disassociation of guilt, meaning that they were able to sort of explain away their actions by saying, oh, it didn't really hurt anyone. And something called the dark triad personality traits. Do you want to guess what the dark triad is when it comes to traits? Dark triad. Dark triad. Yes. Yawning when people are talking. (laughs) Um, uh, These are like the worst imaginable qualities. Oh, constantly looking at your phone (laughs) and stealing jokes. (laughs) Close. It's narcissism. Yep. So that's thinking that you're better than everyone. Yep. Psychopathy, which is a lack of empathy, mm-hmm. and Machiavellianism, which is the tendency to manipulate others. Mm. So people who score high in the dark triad, dark triad are more likely to commit crimes and take advantage of others, especially if they're in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. So what's emerging from these studies is kind of interesting because it's almost like greed in and of itself might be more likely to come about if you grow up in the lap of luxury. But criminal greed might be accompanied by early childhood deprivation. And I'll just give you one more study. This one was conducted by psychologist Allison Weismer Fries. Fries had young kids reunite with their mothers. One group of kids were biological children of the moms. The other group were adopted kids who grew up in orphanages where they received very little attention or contact. Mm -hmm. So the way that Fries did this research was she actually took urine samples of the kids okay. before and after reuniting. Not weird at all. <laughs> Not weird that you would start with urine. <laughs> so I'm going to explore greed. 
Can you imagine what that conversation was like with her, with her team of researchers? <laughs> okay, so we're going to do greed. Great, great. It's great. Should we do the dispositional we do greed the, Yeah, absolutely. We should. Actually, we're not going to start with that. Um, everyone take a test tube. Okay, great. What are we doing with these? Well, you're going to put urine in it. I'm sorry? <laughs> so, so she said urine. What she was looking for in the urine was oxytocin levels. Do you remember oxytocin? <laughs> oh, it's the yeah. cuddle chemical. It's also sometimes known as the tend and befriend neurotransmitter. Uh, Couldn't so- they have found this in saliva? <laughs> I'm just curious. A mouth swab, perhaps? They have to go straight to urine? Anyway, she checked the kid's pee. And <laughs> what she found is that oxytocin levels among the kids that were biologically related to their moms mm-hmm. spiked when they reunited with their moms. Mm-hmm. Whereas the adopted the kids... Chemical, sure. The cuddle chemical, yeah. Whereas the adopted kids, they had no influx of oxytocin. And this is not just about adoption. This is about kids who are adopted who grow up in extreme right. deprivation. Right, Which also goes hand in hand with case studies of kids being adopted and then having a hard time kind of forming attachments and bonds. Sure, yeah. you, you can do it, but it takes a lot of kind of rewiring. Mm-hmm. So it might be that greed... When it's mixed in with not being able to be attached to others and the dark triad. Dark triad. (laughs) (laughs) And some of these other kind of psychopathy traits. That's what leads to more of that criminal greed that we often associate with greed. When people talk about greed, they think of it as criminal. They don't think comic books. Maybe I'm... uh, (laughs) Uh, This brings up uh, a great example of Bernie Madoff. When I understand, he grew up very modestly. Mm. Uh, He was a plumber and his parents were immigrants. And he went on to like bilk billions from people. And but not his greed. You and Bernie Madoff had the same exact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but what did our pee look like? Um, So he he uh, he he went out and didn't just make billions in the stock market. He took. Right. Money from people. Yeah, so he kind of fits that profile. Fits the profile. He is the profile. He is the profile. So back to what you were saying earlier, once you start acting greedy, even just regular comic book greed versus like fraud greed, Mm -hmm. it turns into a kind of addiction. When you get that thing, you get the dopamine release. It feels good, Mm -hmm. especially if you have something that you're sort of masking with those possessions. You want more of it and more of it and more of it. And it takes more and more and more to get that same dopamine high. It's any kind of drug, right? So drugs are the same thing if you're if you have an addiction chances right. are you're doing it to fill some kind of like yeah you know i look it's so weird because like junkies and movies and stuff aren't what they look like in real like i grew up you know where we grew up in texas stuff there are people that we knew they were sad but then all of a sudden they'd pop up one day and they'd be like this is great life is we were too young to understand you know the guy at stop and go why he was always so friendly to us and then times when he's just like miserable and like just like yeah. he looked like he was about to walk into traffic and, well there might be that if you don't get that fix you feel so much worse Worse than before you even started, mm-hmm. right? So that do you develop this? Well, your, your life becomes getting that. When's that? The, next yeah, the hunt. Dopamine right? high, yeah. right? So to some extent, we're all susceptible to this because we're all walking on what Philip Brickman and Donald Campbell nicknamed the hedonic treadmill. Ah, oh, here we go, hedonic treadmill. <laughs> so I, we've probably talked about this before, but basically, once we get exposed to something pleasant, we habituate to it, and it, we no longer find it delightful. So yeah, we talk about junkies as though that's not us, but we're all junkies. Yeah. So as soon as we get comfortable with something, all of a sudden you just expect it versus feeling delighted by it. Yeah. Do you have any examples of that, Brian Luna? Yeah, a good example for me is we were uh, we were taking a flight and you knew I didn't like waiting. I hate, I hate that little line where they're like group one, group two. And you're like, you know what? Let's pay the extra 30 bucks and go in group A 
or whatever, you know. And I was <laughs> oh, like, the most dangerous thirty dollars. And I, I was spent. like, I was like, are you sure? I don't know. Is it worth it? Worth it? She. I can't ever go back to Group B. She. <laughs> are you crazy? The sad thing is I that was you like were so happy that day. And so now... happy, and now I'm like, oh, I have to wait. Um, <laughs> so I was in line to get on a plane, and they were like Group One, and I was like, back up, suckers, back up. You do that thing where you go up to the thing, and they're like, and there's people standing there. Like, oh, are you Group One? You walk or you saunter? I like mosey, and uh, and then I see people, and I'm like, oh, they're standing there, and like, are you Group One? They're like, oh no no. No, I'm just standing. Okay, yeah, because I'm Group One. I should probably be there, you know. <laughs> and and so I get up there, and and I'm there, and I swear, I swear to you, Tanya, and it's something I'm not proud of, but I'm going to share with listeners. They were like, okay, anybody who needs help getting on the plane oh, can no. now board, and they brought out this person with a wheelchair, and you know what I did? I went. And I was like, what are you doing, you hedonic son of a bitch? I was like, what are you, this person? I mean, I don't know. Okay, in all fairness, in my defense, I don't know this person couldn't walk. I just know that this person is that was, in your defense. Is that in my defense? Does that make you sound Does better? Does that make me sound better? At least I'm vulnerable and I'm open and I'm sharing. Right? Yes. That's important. At so. least. I'm so ashamed right now. I can't even no, tell we've you. all been there. We've I was a babe. Well, not there. See, I was, we haven't all been there. No, but I was like somewhere like I, that. They were like in service men and women. I was like. I was like, what are you doing? These people are coming back I was going to say, in your defense, the only time where I think you're fully and rightly justified in enjoying your group A privileges is when someone assumes that you're not group A because you're not white. The best. (laughs) The best. You stand there waiting for that to happen. Because, you know, I go there and... I happened to get bumped up to first class and I was sitting there in my, with my ticket and the guy turns to me behind me and he goes, uh, excuse me, this is for first class. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's what my ticket says. And I was like, I tell you what, if I get lost on the plane, I'll look for you. And everyone started, everyone started around me started laughing and he started laughing too. Like, <laughs> So now whenever I'm like, oh, do we really have to pay that extra 30 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever? You see it as like a social justice It's thing. social justice. It's civil liberties. It goes all the way back. So it does happen to all of us, that hedonic treadmill, but it can become really destructive if you're prone to addiction or if you had extreme loss in your life and greed becomes a kind of coping mechanism, which can even turn into hoarding. So actually in my family, like in a lot of immigrant families that come from a culture of poverty, there's actually a lot of hoarding. My grandmother, my mother, they would hoard stuff like plastic bags. Like you would just go into the kitchen <laughs> and just every drawer you open, there's more plastic bags. What did, what were they for? They would keep um, Ziploc bags, you know, and reuse them mm-hmm. always. So Ziploc bags everywhere, plastic bags everywhere. Jars. Um, jars, little ketchup Your packets. mom would give us stuff in <laughs> jars that wasn't the stuff. So like... Yeah. In a mayonnaise jar, there'd be jelly and jam. And in the jam jar, there'd be mayonnaise and ketchup. Pickles. pickles. <laughs> like, everything was... <laughs> j- all, all she had to do was, like, dump everything out. And then she could have all the jars for the right things. There was no such thing as disposable <laughs> in my family. So you would get a plastic fork. You would wash the plastic fork. You would We would reuse chopsticks that we would get at restaurants. like Diapers. Tell me about the diapers. Well, we didn't have diapers in my family. So what would you give... If you did not give diapers, what do you hear? Very insulting. <laughs> well, yeah, you gave me the little violin, so now we got to hear the violin. But I didn't hear diapers growing up. Well, I you have, know what? I'm pretty we sure we hear sticks. 
Actually, what we did back in the 70s and 80s in the former Soviet Union is what's very hip and popular in Brooklyn today, which is to use cloth diapers instead of disposable. And kombucha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we actually did have kombucha. Gross. <laughs> it's all coming back. Oh, it's all coming back. I'm an early adopter. <laughs> did your family, because your family are what? immigrants, but you're, what? you have a little bit of like a lineage of a culture of Listen, poverty. if you were to look in my mom's... <laughs> yeah, my what mom, would you find? My mom keeps plastic containers from any fast food place she cleans them she washes them and for some reason even though it's really easy to acquire salt pepper ketchup oh absolutely the packets all over the place always all, didn't y'all used every to every drawer what did y'all used to do at the with, bottom with of every drawer yeah. our little sliding oh well what did we used to do with ketchup was when we were really poor we used to make soup out of it i don't think y'all were really poor i just think your mom was a terrible cook <laughs> Just lazy. It's just really, really lazy. I'm so sorry, Mom. No. Thank you for everything just you went through to bring us to this country and to feed us. <laughs> All right, moving along. So we talked about trait greed. Let's now briefly talk about state greed. Okay. To do so, I'm going to bring out our favorite little treat. Huckleberry. Mini oh. marshmallows. Ooh, dandies. Bring them along. They've been here all along. Oh, man. All right. Do you hear that crinkle, folks? That's the crinkle of heaven. Heaven and a little... Here, let me have one. One, two... What are you doing? Three, four, Well, before five, we start, you can give me six. one. No, I need you to be in a... You're, we're going to do six dandies? What's to, worth for it? For round one. Round All one. Right, okay, ready? Yeah. So, we're going to play an economic game called the dictator game. Okay. Okay, so you get to be the dictator in the first round. Okay, give me all this. Give me all the dandies. Okay, hold on. Okay. Let me give you the rules. Well, give me the dandies first. I'm the dictator. I make the rules. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so, you don't want me to explain the rules? You just want to be the dictator. I'm the dictator. Fine. Okay. Six dandies. All right. In your hand. Yep. Your choices are you could keep them all, you could give me all of them, or you can split them. Those are my only choices? Or you can give me, I don't know, you can distribute. Here's two. Two dandies. You had six What did you just do? I just ate my four dandies. You just ate your four dandies, Mm -hmm. and I have... Two. All right. Okay. All right. Delicious. Thanks. My turn. This game is awesome. <laughs> My turn. I'm the dictator. I'm going to go for three, four, you know what a military five, is? six. It's not that kind of game. You better be, you better be generous with those dandies. Stop mm. threatening me. Look, Edie, I mean, you better I give me those. I have six dandies. Yep. And I get to distribute them however I want. I am the okay. dictator. All right. Oh, you ate all the dandies? What? <laughs> Why? What's this game? Why? This game is bullshit. Well, I love dandies. They're delicious. Okay, delicious. so I'm the dictator again? Okay, you're the dictator. Okay. Six dandies. And what's the rules? You can eat them. <laughs> hey! What did you do? All right, well, I'm goddamn dandies. <laughs> dandies are the brand of marshmallow that we're eating. Mm-hmm. Vegan marshmallows, they're fantastic. They're best. I need some water. <laughs> this is a lot of marshmallows. <laughs> we're doing it for science. Can I be dictator again? <laughs> <laughs> So last year, researchers Cardella and team did a version of this game called the Common Pool Resource Dilemma. What they wanted to find out is if greed is contagious. Hell yeah, it is. It's due one to others. <laughs> yeah. Because when I but I gave you two dandy. I didn't leave you dandyless. You yeah. Ate I wanted all to six. see if I could infect you with greed. 
What did you think was going to happen? That I was going to come back and give you more dandies? Well, I don't know. You could have been righteous. You could have been like, I shall not be impacted oh, by so I'm supposed to take the wrongdoings. I'm supposed to take the higher road. The higher road. Apparently, you didn't have a map to that one. I didn't. I don't need a map to the higher road. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly that greedy players made people feel greed, but the most common result was that participants who played with selfish players started to act selfish themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not that Because you don't want to look like a fool. You don't want to look stupid. There's no way I was going to turn around and give you greedy, uh, dandies after you gave me zero dandies. Okay, so in And laughed study, about it. <laughs> Cackled. <laughs> in a different study by Kurt Gray and team, mm-hmm. researchers wanted to see whether greed, equal treatment, or generosity would lead to pay-it-forward impulse. So you said, oh, I don't want to look like a dope by being generous with you after you've been selfish yeah. with me. How about paying it forward to others? So imagine this. I'm given $6 by the researcher. Okay. I can give you $6. Yeah. All of it. $3. Or zero dollars, okay? And let's say that I give you zero dollars. I get those dollars anyway. I told you this before. I <laughs> no, get those dollars we're, in the we're parking participants. Lot. We're not yeah, married. I know. It's fine. You no, get them later in the parking on. lot. In the parking lot, no, I get those six dollars. No, it's during quarantine. There's no parking lot. Look, I'll find those six dollars. I'll find where you live. <laughs> it's Ven mode. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> so now you're given an envelope with six dollars yeah. or whatever, a, a Venmo envelope with six, six digital dollars. And ask to make the same decision for you and another stranger. Someone a stranger. you have not played with yet. Yeah. How much do you give them? I'd give them three bucks because I felt injustice. Oh, interesting. So you yeah. feel like this is my chance to make the world a better place. Yeah, why not? Okay. Turns out most people did not do that. So getting a generous split didn't prompt more generosity than getting a fair or even split. Mm. But getting a greedy split made people pass on or pay forward the greed. Hmm. But this goes back to comic books. Does and it? if they read more comics then they would know that what is done to you doesn't necessarily mean is right to do to others. Beautiful. So you be, are investing. You always have to be the hero. So by, yeah. by hoarding comic books, you're investing in a better you and a better world. Yeah, I'm investing in me. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that, Brian Luna. In fact, I think you would give away $5 or more. Maybe. I mean, depending on what the other person looked like, if they look like they needed it more than I do, yeah. What would they have to look like? They'd have to be like shivering. They and... would They would have a t-shirt without a logo on it or <laughs> a t-shirt without a superhero or something. Like if they had a plain tee, I'd be like, oh. Okay, so before we go today, a simple question for you, Brian. Talk to me. How do we stop the cycle of greed? We don't. We encourage it. We use that greed. Instead, take from others. We benefit others. We, mm. we try to rework greed in our own minds so that way we're not looking at people who have more than us as immediately evil. Then we hopefully can instill some kind of like, I don't know, cultural thing to see that the benefit of giving, like what it does. Okay, so number one, don't make assumptions about someone's greed or lack thereof based on their wealth or the possessions mm-hmm. that they have. Sure. And number two is feed the change you want to see. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So my takeaway from the research is everything in moderation. If you find yourself wanting more and more and you're trapped on that hedonic treadmill, you might need to practice a combination of deliberate gratitude and kind of like a dopamine cleanse. Almost like you would with any other kind of addiction, create an opportunity for not constantly feeding that need as a way to reduce the intensity of that so need. So you're, you're saying go cold turkey. Or little by little. I'm not yeah. necessarily suggesting how you get there. You methadone. might want to experiment. Methadone. <laughs> well, <laughs> You're like comic book methadone. Uh, um, pamphlets. Pamphlets. <laughs> Cartoons. <laughs> That's cool. But you know, like right now that we've changed our own budget and we're being really cautious with our spending, mm-hmm. you have been buying a lot less. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel good because I've been buying more without telling you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I feel good. I feel good. I, I'm actually going to reread 
things that I currently own. And I feel like, I'm like, wow, I don't have enough time to finish what I have. And that's a great feeling. I love that. To pause So find your dopamine elsewhere and find Mm -hmm. it in the things you already have, which I think is also part of why gratitude is so powerful. Like for myself. Yes. Coming from a third world country or developing or Here whatever we we're supposed to say. Here we go. <laughs> should we each have a different violin score? Yeah, absolutely. We <laughs> but, but really, like when I am annoyed by something like, oh, the toilet's not working. It really helps me to be like, and there was a time where you didn't have toilet. <laughs> or there are plenty of people in the world who You can always go back to your thing and be like, in Vishniki, we didn't have running water. <laughs> you know, we had elk house. And if you find yourself forced to cooperate with someone greedy adjust your actions with that person so you don't get taken advantage of but don't let that experience make you less generous with others 100 the final research finding i would love to share with you is based on anatole rapaport's tit-for-tat computer algorithm okay you might have heard me talking about this because at one point i decided to live my whole life this way okay so it might sound familiar so <laughs> this is actually a computer algorithm so not humans that looked at what strategy is best for long-term success giving taking or matching And what they found is that the most successful strategy is that you want to start with generosity. If you get screwed over, you want to give them one more chance. If you get screwed over again, that's when you start looking out for your own best interest, but only for that person. So you want to pick a different strategy with each person. So it's like fool me once. always start with generosity. Yeah. So fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. I'm going to give you one more chance. Fool me thrice. You're out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. And I use that myself because I often struggle with like, oh, how much trust should I extend? How much generosity? How many chances do I give people? And I literally used this study years ago to go, I'm going to give people two chances. So to sum it all up, it's first and foremost, start with yourself. (laughs) Yes. See if you can reduce some of that greed if it's causing you harm. That said, hold on to purpose and focus and the desire for more if it's going to help advance your life and society. That's still Mm -hmm. super important. But but take a break every once in a while. Do kind of like a a cleanse from that feeling so that you're not constantly feeling like there's something missing. Yeah. Be the change you want to see. Give people a second chance. But don't be a sucker. Correct. Speaking of giving people one more chance, here's one more chance for you to be generous by leaving us a review. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Or sharing the show with the greedy and generous people in your life. We'll talk to you next week as we take on the psychology of yet another one of the seven deadly sins. Ooh, I love the mystery of it. And thank you for listening to Talk Talk Sight to Me. Me.